I was super curious initially because you never want to just jump in and say, I can't drink, I have a problem and I shouldn't ever drink again. You just kind of and apologetically initially just kind of, oh, I think I should try and moderate or I should try and cut back. But if I'm honest, I tried that already. I set all these limits for myself that I never kept. <laughs> you know, like I'll have, I won't drink during the weekdays. And then it would be like, maybe just Thursday and Friday because they're kind of part of the weekend. And, that, you know, it was that kind of, I could never keep the promises. And that's when I started to think that I had a power over me that I just really didn't like anymore. From Thrivalist, this is the Sober Not Sorry podcast with your host, Lucy Quick. As the leading destination to change your relationship with alcohol in an empowered way, Thrivalist will help you free yourself from the alcohol trap and create a life so wondrous you won't want to escape from it anymore. Welcome back to the podcast. It's so nice to be here with you. Thank you so much for tuning in. I hope you've had a beautiful week. Before we get stuck into today's episode with the beautiful Thrivalist member, Jane, I wanted to talk about a couple of things. Firstly, if you've been following me or Thrivalist for a while now, you'll know how obsessed we are with self-care and how important it is when it comes to sobriety. It's actually one of the most important components of maintaining long-term sobriety. And that's why I am so excited about hosting our first ever in-person retreat for Sober Curious Women in Trentham, Victoria on November 23rd. This retreat will focus on rest, rejuvenation, connection with like-minded women and also with ourselves. It's going to be such a beautiful, luxurious five-star experience and we've only got one space left. So please visit the link in the show notes if you would like to find out more or lock in your spot. I also just wanted to talk about how we can set ourselves up for the most successful year, 2024, yet. As the year draws to a close, it's a really great time to reflect on the past 12 months and also set intentions for the year to come. If you're struggling with your drinking, it's almost impossible to live life intentionally. You set yourself goals and then constantly let yourself down. I know I certainly did this for a long time, stuck in the hamster wheel of using alcohol to escape and feel, you know, so defeated and depleted. If you've got any dreams and goals you're hoping to achieve in 2024, problem drinking is only going to push you further away from achieving these. And on the other hand, by finishing 2023 alcohol-free, you're setting a positive tone for the year ahead. This intentional choice can lead to a really beautiful purpose-driven 2024. So if you've been contemplating the idea of finishing this year sober, let me assure you that that decision is going to set the stage for your best 2024. So why not join us for our signature sobriety course? And if you get started now, you will finish that before the end of the year. And there's still 24 hours to access the early bird discount of 30%. Just use the code THRIVE2024 at checkout. Now onto the episode. Welcome, Jane. Thank you so much for being here. I'm so excited for this conversation with you today. Thanks for having me. Jane, do you want to start by telling us a little bit about yourself? Yep, sure. Well, my name's Jane. I live in regional Victoria on the coast in the Ballerine Peninsula, so we're pretty lucky. 
I'm turning 45 in a couple of months. I'm a passionate creative. I love art and photography and music and I'm an architect in my work life and we're that super busy we're out of the trenches but we're super busy with two young boys that are 12 and 8 and my husband Lockie so we have a really busy active life every night's kind of taken up with extracurricular stuff so yeah it's just a bit of a balancing act but you know we're pretty fortunate pretty lucky people so yeah that's me and when was the day that you stopped drinking alcohol it was Halloween, so October 31st. It's amazing. Yeah. Congratulations. You stop counting after a while, like you're counting every day in the beginning and you're really excited about three months and six months and then after that I'm just kind of like, oh, I'll be looking, I'll, I'll mark my one year in some way. That'll seem significant, but I've stopped counting now. Yeah, totally. One year is certainly significant and it's actually great that you've stopped counting. It's something that your new life is just life it doesn't really whether or not you drink is not a big deal anymore which is just an amazing place to be yeah I've had a lot of people ask about my one year and whether I'm going to reevaluate because I when you're kind of protective in early sobriety I would say to people I do want to maybe fess up to the fact that I thought that this would have to be a life change for me so I just say oh I'm aiming for 12 months and then I'll see how I feel and now I'm getting to the 12 months everyone's like so what are you going to do you're going to have a drink (laughs) No, absolutely not. I've just, I love it and it's my new way of life. So I don't intend to ever drink again. So So good. How did they respond when you say that? A little bit of shock still, yeah. But most of the time people's responses are uh, like triggered by some kind of internal something for them, like, you know, a reflection or a moment of, oh. So I found that along the way during sobriety when people are, particularly interested or sometimes even put out by your choices it's not about you it's about them so Mm, yeah so true I run my own race (laughs) you've found freedom from something that so many people are trapped by and for that you know for others it can be a lot to hear that because as you said it's like holding a mirror up to their own relationship with alcohol and for someone to say I'm never going to drink again can make them feel like well do I need to evaluate the role or the the place that alcohol has in my life. So it's really interesting. Such an, yeah. So Jane, what's your one word description of what sobriety means to you? When you started to ask that question, I just thought of liberation. Like I just, I don't know, I just feel free. Yeah. Yeah. It's so freeing, isn't it? it? Yeah, absolutely. And it's not that every problem's been fixed or every goal has been met. It's just that you're kind of unshackled now so you can keep doing the work there's nothing that can stop you so Mm. it's just so freeing really so Jane can you please share your alcohol story what drove you to drink in a problematic way how much you were drinking towards the end and so on yep well I probably came to drinking relatively late I discovered boy boys and beer at the same time in first year university So it was pub crawls and, you know, kind of social lubricant, hanging out around Melbourne Uni, drinking in all the bars and clubs. And so it was really just about, it was a backdrop to a social life, going to gigs, live music, a bit of Dutch courage to talk to the right boy or wrong boy. So it was really just, it took hold in my 20s, but I, I don't know if I necessarily used it problematically in terms of to deaden an emotion or unwind or relax until I really hit motherhood 
you can blame your kids for lots, can't you? So, yeah, it was really just a social lubricant and something that, but, I mean, it was really consistent. But I, I don't think my drinking was different to my cohort of friends and, and the people around me. We were all doing the same thing. And then I had the two kids and we moved down to the ballerine and it was a little isolating and you're second-guessing your identity a bit, like you're a mum, like you've just spent all this time studying and working and forging a career and then you're stuck at home. So I think that those early years of motherhood gifted me many things, like I got interested in photography and all of that, but I also started to kind of use wine to wind down and to de-stress and to take the edge off. And then during COVID, we had a particularly stressful period, you know, with someone being sick in the family and unfortunately passing away. And so there was grief, there was the normal stress that the whole world was going under, experiencing, and yeah, just started to drink a lot more on my own, just to kind of numb some feelings or deal with a little bit of stress and loneliness and everything in that time. And it got to the point where I could easily drink a bottle in a night without thinking about it. And then when I did start to think about it and notice it and feel a lot of shame around it, I started to kind of look around for certain ways that I could maybe some support that I could get to explore. I was sober curious initially because you never want to just jump in and say, I can't drink. I have a problem and I shouldn't ever drink again. You just kind of and apologetically initially just kind of, oh, I think I should try and moderate or I should try and cut back. But if I'm honest, I tried that already. I set all these limits for myself that I never kept, you know, like I'll have I won't drink during the weekdays and then it would be like maybe just Thursday and Friday because they're kind of part of the weekend. And, you know, it was that kind of I could never keep the promises and that's when I started to think that I had a power over me that I just really didn't like anymore. So I Googled Sober Curious or Sobriety for Women and Thrivalist came up and on a whim that night when I just kind of had I was up late drafting and work, that was kind of a go-to, like, finding the mental load of life with a young family kind of a bit stressful and I'd do a bit of work at night and I'd have a couple of wines and it'd be kind of me time, which I don't know. Now I'm like, oh, God, there's so much better ways to spend your, your you know, totally. valuable time. Yeah, so that's how I came to Thrivalist. So, yeah, I never really blacked out or drank in the morning or had a brown paper bag or any of that, what I thought stereotypically was someone with an alcohol addiction. I never kind of did any of that, but, you know, it was still a problem for me. So it was just my version of it. And I'm so glad you nipped it in the bud before it did get to that place of blacking out or drinking earlier in the day. And COVID certainly put a lot of people in the position of drinking way more than they ever had. You know, it crept up on a lot of people. But the fact that you managed to get to it at such an early stage was really, really good. You said that you were setting rules for yourself around how much you would drink, what you would drink. What were those rules? And were you telling yourself any lies about your drinking or anyone else lies about the way that you were drinking? I didn't really need to lie to the people around me because the levels of drinking are fairly consistent (laughs) in our social circle. Like maybe in hindsight and upon reflection, I probably did give it a better nudge than most of my girlfriends. But, yeah, it was really just, I mean, I linked it all to, I didn't think I necessarily, I wasn't mostly upset about my relationship with alcohol. I was mostly upset about my relationship with myself. I just didn't really like myself. I had really low self-esteem. And initially when I wanted to cut back alcohol, it was all about trying to lose weight. And it's so interesting now 
kind of going, actually, really, the alcohol was the problem and, and it was fueling the low self-esteem. But along, you know, it's, I don't know, my identity is more than a figure on the scales or, or something like that. So the weight loss or getting healthy is kind of a very slow byproduct of becoming sober now. It's not my focus, if that makes sense. I do want to get fit and healthy, but there's no point losing weight if you're chucking a bowl of poison, diluted poison down your throat every night. So no. So that was, yeah. So my motivations initially were a little bit disingenuous like it was all about trying to, I thought I would feel better about myself if I shifted weight and I linked my weight to my alcohol consumption. Like, you know, no one can lose weight when they're drinking and it would, I'd eat carbs, I'd kind of get the munchies and I'd unpick all the healthy stuff and all that healthy work that I'd done during the day, I would undo at night with a couple of glasses of red and the munchies. So, but it was when I started to get sober, I realised that I had much more pressing work that needed to happen around my self-worth and everything like that and that could really just wait. So it really mm. was a bit of an eye-opener. Like in the first few months, and I think you probably noticed this, Lisa, it was like emotional shedding. It was just like all this stuff came out and I hooked in with a really beautiful therapist and we just walked and we talked. And I realized that there were so many emotions and thoughts from the past five years, particularly that I'd suppressed. And it was the priority was just kind of working through all of that, then kind of mm-hmm. focusing on my body image, really. It was my yeah. Yeah. Do you think that that motivation to want to quit because you wanted to lose weight, do you think that was subconsciously a way of deflecting from the fact that you had a drinking problem because it was too hard to face the fact that you had a problem? Probably was. Yeah, because you can say to people, I'm not drinking some um, on a diet or I'm on a health kick rather than I'm not drinking because I really needed to address my relationship with alcohol. It's mm. it's a lot it's a lot easier to say. So it probably was from reflection. Yeah. Yeah. And you said that the the, the night that you decided to stop, it wasn't so much a rock bottom moment. There wasn't some really bad thing that happened or intervention or anything like that it was just a bit of a a light bulb went off in your mind what do you think it held you back from getting to that place for I guess there was you said that you tried a number of times but what had held you back from getting sober and what were your biggest fears in relation to quitting alcohol I think it was shame admitting that you have a problem being really worried about judgment from others so that's still more shame really isn't it that was the big the big worry and then the second worry was I wouldn't be fun anymore or people wouldn't want to hang out with you or invite you to things because I don't know a bit of a Debbie Downer being sober Jane in the corner or you know that kind of because I used to have those misconceptions and I'm really apologetic now but if someone said they weren't drinking I'd be like I don't know if I trust them you know totally. I'm like oh, horrible responses to people's life choices <laughs> I was judgmental I guess but usually that was probably an, a quick you don't even know it happens it happens in a split second but that internal judgment of they're not drinking oh, oh, you know they must be better than me or they must have better willpower or self-control or that happens in such a quick moment that you don't even realize it's happening so yeah it was probably about the shame and judgment from myself and others and the fear that it would cripple my social life. Yeah. Yeah. And you have a really active social life. I remember hearing you talk, you know, at the Saudi journey about how often you're at festivals, 
live music. You're always out with friends for dinners and all sorts of things, which is so amazing. And something I loved about your journey was watching you experience these things sober for the first time and actually reporting back to the group and saying, I actually had, you know, my first sober music festival and it was unreal. There was nothing about that experience that was hindered or, you know, not as good as when I drank, which was really inspiring to to listen to. And also it was such a great, had a positive influence on the whole community to hear that you were having such a beautiful experience. So, yeah, I think that's, yeah, well, it's great. I mean, there are so many things that we just think we need to drink at. We've got 20 years of drinking at these things. We can't even imagine going to these events or these music festivals or concerts and being sober and then to hear it's actually just as good. And, in fact, you're now having a way better experience is really good to hear. Yep. And And driving home afterwards. (laughs) totally you get to have your cake and eat it too what a gift yeah yeah so Jane what part of Thrivalist supported you the most probably it wasn't actually the coursework it was which is great and mirrored everything that I was doing on the side with my therapist anyway and my counsellor so so um, good to hear that yeah, so probably for me the coursework wasn't as integral because I was doing it kind of in conjunction or at the same time. So it was the accountability and the community because I still don't have any sober friends. So I'm hoping that I'll have a different response to that in 12 months. Like surely the you know, the tides are turning. But I just want to yeah, say something so- there, Jane. You don't have any sober friends, but you've certainly had a lot of people well, from what I what I've seen, sort of tell you that you're influencing them, their lives, and they're inspired by you. Is that I think right? I yeah, I think I have a few sober curious friends, and I'm just even you know with my husband or, and he's drinking. It's just like lead by example. Don't don't pressure or don't preach because people just shut down. So it's for me the priority was to just still go out and be at these events and just show people that you can have a good time when you're sober and you can make choices that are are different and like even at the end of one festival because I was fairly strategic at one of the festivals I went to I always had a soda water in um a stubby holder just so people could just you know I just want to be here and listen to the music shut up and (laughs) yeah (laughs) and at the end someone said oh should we go and have a shot or whatever I'm like oh I actually haven't had a drink and they're like we haven't drunk the entire festival. I haven't actually drunk for about six months. And they were like, but you were having so much fun. Like they were actually shocked. that, And it was kind of nice that it happened on day three of the festival. So you didn't kind of have their inquiring mind consistently, you know, hassling you. Are you sure you don't want oh, just one or would you? So that was kind of nice. But, um, yeah, people are legitimately shocked that you can still have fun and be sober. I don't even remember the original question. Sorry, I'm rambling. <laughs> No, no, no. Um, oh, with, so it was the phone calls that were um, probably the most important. Right. Yeah. Okay. So the I had community, real the community, the community. Support. Yeah. 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 That's I had amazing. real fear initially about speaking up. Like I can remember my first call, and I was literally sitting in the shadows in the room and couldn't say much. I think I was quite teary afterwards. I was really emotional, and then you just chip away at it each week you realize you're in a really safe place and that 
people are leading by example. It's just so beautiful to have women who are years or months ahead of you and then women that are months behind you. So I don't know, you just you get to support others, which feels really special, and you get the support from others. So yeah, it was really the phone calls, the you know, just knowing that you're not alone. When you might be in your inner circle or, you know, where you're living, you might be one of the few people that's kind of on this course. But yeah, just kind of having that community and feeling that you're accountable to them. You know, even mm-hmm. though people have slip ups and whatever, and you actually learn from it and you support everyone. So, but I felt accountable to the women. I wanted to be able to rock up every week and say that, you know, I was still sober and I hadn't had a drink. So, yeah. Absolutely. It's amazing how, even in today's day and age, where we're really talking way more about mental health and it's easy for us to put our hand up and say, I've got anxiety or I had postnatal depression. Maybe not easy, sorry. It's a lot easier to speak about our mental health more candidly. Still the initial act of saying in a group setting, like the the thrivalists call that first moment of I'm here and I've got a drinking problem and I really want to change that. It's so overwhelming and it can make us feel really vulnerable. So it makes sense, you know, it's so common to feel emotional on those initial calls as you really speak it out into the universe and it suddenly becomes, it's like, you know, okay, well, this is real now. This is really out there and I am changing my life. It's a very overwhelming experience. Yeah. And so, Jane, what is life like now that you're sober? And before you mentioned a few fears that were keeping you stuck in your drinking. What do you think of those fears now after 10 months of sobriety? Life is just a lot more balanced and measured and easier. Like it's just I feel like I've gone from this to to this. Like I'm, I'm feeling a lot more equilibrium. So and you still have your good days and your bad days, of course. It's just life. But you have to process and sit with all the emotions and that's a lot healthier than cracking a can or have pouring a glass of red wine at five o'clock so and the benefits are flowing through to my relationship with my husband and to the kids I'm a lot calmer a lot more patient and they're really proud of me so sometimes if they see me having an alcohol-free version they'll be like oh mum I'm like no alcohol-free so and that that's as much as we kind of really talk about it with them but it's really nice that I can tell that they're a little bit chuffed and a little bit proud so yeah, life's really good and I've kind of broken the back of all the firsts, the first camping trip, the first New Year's, the first Christmas, like that was fairly early in my sobriety and I went into it with a lot of trepidation and fear. I just thought, a judgment, not going to have as much fun, but it, it was just such a beautiful summer. It wasn't without its challenges, like it can be hard to go to bed at 9 o'clock and initially feel like everyone's sitting around the campfire who's starting to kind of let loose. I would. Early on in sobriety, I'd still have the misconception that I was missing out on some kind of connection. But now I love kind of going to ladies' night and just tapping out when it starts to get messy, going home, spending time with the family, waking up and doing something early in the morning to just remind yourself that there's now 24 hours in a day that are at your disposal to do anything you like with because you're not under that fog of even a couple of glasses of wine and you know you're allowed you're able to sleep well and you're able to get up and exercise or go out and see people so it's just those small things like the the day-to-day is just not 
kind of having the urge to pull into Dan Murphy's and get a bottle of red to de-stress from a stressful day. It's just kind of nice. It doesn't even, we just went to um, Vietnam and had our first, another first actually. And it didn't even cross my mind that it would be a problem. I didn't have an issue on the plane whatsoever. And all those images I had previously of sitting by the pool with a beautiful cocktail, all of that happened. It was just a refreshing mocktail. So it was, yeah, it was a really beautiful experience. So, yeah, your senses are heightened and you just kind of get a lot, a lot more joy from life when you're sober, I've found. And socially, you have learned very quickly that there's a few people that you don't want in your life and that's not a bad thing. So just kind of doing your circle work and realising who's in your inner circle and who's a couple of rungs out and where you're going to pour your energy and who, what friendships you want to nurture and reassuringly it's the inner circle is actually the same so I love that I you know those people are still supporting me and yeah that's kind of it really it's all it's really good and there's still there's still a lot more work I want to do but yeah it'll come so and sobriety it sounds like has been that first step you needed to even begin taking the steps to tackle this this work you speak of in terms of improving your self-worth and your self-esteem and all of these next things that you're going to be focusing on to be the best version of yourself. Yeah. And there was a little bit of impatience initially. It was like, oh, why hasn't it fixed everything? (laughs) It's this massive grand gesture. But now it's like, well, you did spend 25 years drinking. So it's going to take longer than 10 months to undo, you know, and just undo all the kind of negativity. But also just I think I've seen it in a couple of places that, you know, your emotional resilience is kind of stuck back at the point where you started drinking. And I, f- I feel like that is true. Like if you've constantly used alcohol to numb a negative emotion or to help you celebrate a good one, then you've never really experienced those things in their true essence. So it does take a little bit of learning and time to actually sit with all those emotions. It's a bit raw. So yeah, it's going to take, it's going to take a bit longer to kind of get to the point where you necessarily want to be, but it's a journey, isn't it? So yeah. Absolutely. And so now that you are where you are and you think back to those fears around well, the main ones being, what will people think? Will I, you know, be a boring person without alcohol? And what was the other fear you had? You had two. It was judgment and losing my social life, really. That's right. Yeah. Now that yeah. you are where you are, what would you say to yourself back on day one with these these fears in your mind? You really, you just, you can't see a change without making one. So just get started. <laughs> just stop, stop the cycle, break the cycle, make the change. Yeah. And yeah. it sounds like your social life is actually better than it's ever been. Yeah, it's amazing. And there's still moments like, you know, on a walk the other day with friends and they were talking about a gin tasting and then everyone started talking about where they want to go for the next gin tasting. Oh, we'll get a bus. And you sit there kind of quietly just going, how do I figure into this? Mm. But you just have to catch the negative thought and going, they're not doing this at the exclusion of you. It's just something that is still ingrained for them and why you wouldn't want to go anyway so it's still those little moments that kind of you catch yourself in where it's a little bit of like a a smidge of disappointment but it's just it's fleeting because I can kind of work my way through it at the end of the walk if that makes sense probably something and that's really no I mean I find that really admirable that you're able to catch yourself and to put it into perspective like that because it can take 
us a long time to figure that out and yeah. get to a place where we realize this is actually has nothing to do with me. This nothing is to do with about me. them. And I can still go on the gin tasting if I really want. Oh, do you? Well, I yeah. no, <laughs> I don't. I don't do the, the winery. There's a few a couple of things I don't do: winery tours, wine tastings, gin tastings, anything like that. I mean, what's the point, right? Yeah. But if you wanted to, yeah. you could. And there are women who in Thrivalists who have had to do the the wine tastings and the the winery tours for hens parties. And there's you can always be there. You just have to think about it as though. It's the exact same experience. I just don't have ethanol in my glass anymore. I can put something else in my glass. So, yeah. yeah. And that takes so long to get to that place for some people. And I just think it's amazing how you've done this work to get to a point of really being able to pull yourself up like that. It's amazing, Jane. <laughs> you are just such a, a beautiful and inspiring woman. And having you as part of our Thrivalist community has been such a blessing. And You've just offered so much to everyone who's listening to this and also the ladies on the Thrivalist calls. So I just want to say a huge thank you. And my last question, what advice do you have for any of the listeners who may be questioning their own relationship with alcohol? If you're questioning it, then your your gut and your instinct is that it's time to make a change. So you don't need to white-knuckle it reach out and I uh, would surround yourself with education and community. So Thrivalist, of course, I recommend. Get in touch with Lucy. And that's it for the podcast this week. Thank you so much for tuning in. I hope you've enjoyed the episode and we'll be back next week. Lots of love. If you're not 100% sure about joining Thrivalist just yet, I'd like to direct you towards some free resources to get you started right away on your Sober Curious journey. You can head over to our website at www.thrivalistsobriety.com and read our member reviews. When you read about other women's success stories, it serves as a huge inspiration to get you started on your own. If we can do it, so can you. You can also head to the resources section of our website and listen to a guided future self meditation or calculate how much you'll save by taking a break from drinking. Plus, we've got loads of other free resources for you over there. Don't forget to follow us on Instagram, join our free Facebook community, and please reach out anytime you may need some support at info at thrivalistsobriety.com.